stop it. What's going on, Grant? How are you doing? We have a fun one, yep. kind of. I was actually, when you sent me the um, little thing for this, I was kind of excited because it's not too far out of my knowledge zone. You know what I mean? You want to give a little intro? What do you want? What we're going to talk about, Joe? Yeah. So, I think this year the West is about as wide open as it's been in a quite a long time. Last yeah. year too, but this year the talent is just so deep in the West. And I was looking over the teams yesterday, and there are really there are really eight teams that I could make a case for going to the Western Conference Finals, and you just cannot say that every year. And so today we're just going to be going through. And making the case for those eight teams, as well as what some of their potential flaws may be, and then giving each team's kryptonite. So, what would be each team's sort of worst matchup in the playoffs? So, one, yeah. one really quick question, dude. Yeah. Okay. Did you put the Warriors in there just because of me to be nice, <laughs> or what? No, I, I think the Warriors. They may <laughs> not be on the level of like some of those other teams right now, but I mean, I. The thing about the Warriors, and I guess we can get into them right now, is just they have a lot of potential, in my opinion, because A, they've just got Steph Curry, who's literally been one of the best players in the league this year. But then also the fact that they have Kelly Oubre, <laughs> as well as the Minnesota Timberwolves pick on or top three protected next year, as well as James Wiseman. Like this team, if they want to compete, they they can really make some waves. Like the Warriors have a lot of opportunities to improve this roster if they want to, which is why I thought they were worth discussing. Plus, the they can beat anybody. I mean, they've beaten the Clippers, they've beaten the Lakers. Like when the Warriors are pitching their fastball, when Steph and Dre both are on, like this this is actually a dangerous team. It can be for sure. And the bench, the bench has flashes of greatness as well. Like Eric and everything. It's not. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but yeah, you're not. Yeah. You know, I love how you were talking about the, pro- like we show kind of promise or whatever, but I just still get so salty when we talk about James Wiseman, my guy. <laughs> <laughs> what team, what team do you want to start out with? What you, you want to start from best team down and then give those kind of things or no? Yeah, I guess the natural place to start would be the defending NBA champions. Go Los <laughs> Angeles Lakers here. They've kind of been sleepwalking through this season. I'd have a hard time saying they look engaged every time I watch them play, but they're still getting it done. I think right now they've got the second best record in the NBA behind the jazz mm-hmm. and LeBron James. He looks like he might be, a very real MVP candidate. Again, Dennis Schroeder, I criticized that trade at the time and I still am a little worried about it, but he's been a great addition during the regular season, has kind of taken some of that pressure off LeBron where LeBron doesn't really have to be the sole offensive creator every time he's on the floor. The one little piece about the Lakers that has been concerning is Anthony Davis, who, especially on offense, he's taken a bit of a step back this year and going through their injury report, he's been out for the past couple of days with Achilles tendinosis. And normally you see tendinitis for these guys, but for Anthony Davis, it was tendinosis. And the difference there is tendinitis. That's just a little tear in the tendon. And so it gets like inflamed or swollen or whatever, but you can usually recover in a couple of weeks. The tendinosis, that's more of a degenerative condition that's caused by like 
the chronic overuse of a tendon. And that is a bit of a longer recovery time. And the Lakers, they might not have the luxury of holding 80 out for extended periods of time. And usually with these sort of injuries, you can power through them. It just leaves that um, tendon very vulnerable. And so knock, knock on wood right. that we don't see AD have a tear or any sort of worsening of that injury. But it is a major concern that it's that um, tendinosis instead of the usual tendinitis. Yeah. So would it, would it be fair to say that the um, they're kind of one of the reasons why they wouldn't make the NBA finals is AD's health? Yeah, I think that's because that's what I that's what I wrote as mine, and that that could be an explanation for why his play has kind of dipped this year. Oh yeah, hundred percent. And then would you you would definitely obviously LeBron's the biggest reason why they would make it to the finals. Well, yeah, I mean, when <laughs> Captain, <laughs> Captain Obvious, Kellen. <laughs> Grant, what do you think about this Lakers team? They've been all right so far. Yeah, I mean they're pretty. They're pretty. I mean. They're the Lakers. It's pretty hard to argue mm-hmm. against them. I feel like a couple of the players that are like kind of make or break for them is Schroeder and Wes Matthews, in my opinion. Two of those guys, like in the games that I've watched, like if those two guys are playing well, it gives them a lot of help. Especially THT has been pretty good too. I mean, he's been getting quite a few minutes. What do you think of him? Yeah, like THT, he's kind of like you were saying that sort of X factor, because if he can hit shots and not just be left completely wide open on offense, it definitely is going to help the Lakers to have that extra defender out there because that Danny Green losing Danny Green, they're actually kind of weak on those wing defenders right now. They don't have a lot of options to throw at like the best player on the other team and Talon Horton Tucker, like he's far from a perfect defensive player. But I think you'd rather have him than like a Schroeder or a Contavious Caldwell Pope or whatever going against the opposition's best perimeter player. So if, if THG, if he can kind of make that jumper more consistent and kind of survive offensively, that's going to be something that really helps the Lakers. And he has been getting more minutes like as of as of late, like Wesley Matthews and Markeith Morris had been bumped out of the rotation until um, – last Monday when, um, or not last Monday, last uh, Tuesday, I think it was when AD started missing time. And so that emergence of Talon Horton Tucker, that's been kind of an interesting storyline for the Lakers. Cause I don't think I really expected that going into this season. Yeah. Interesting, sure. bro. I've never even heard of that guy. He's kind of good. Yeah. Wait, wh- where did he go to school? Iowa state. Wow. Interesting. Yeah, that's dope. Um, I don't when I'm like when I was trying to make up my mind in terms of what teams are their kryptonite, I have no idea. Do you guys want to save that till the end, or do you just want to do that as we go through the teams? I don't really I don't really care, but I was just thinking, I mean, in terms of kryptonite, should, Yeah, I don't know, dude. We should do it as we go through, I think. Yeah. Okay. Well, Jonah, what's your biggest well, who's the biggest teams or team? Is it just, are we just gonna do one singular team or do you want to do multiple teams that are their kryptonite? Yeah, you can do as many as you want. I kind of just picked out one for each, but if you have two good answers, I mean, I'm not going to prevent you from <laughs> saying one of them. So. Who's who's the Lakers' biggest threat? I the- went with I went with the Clippers, and um, the Lakers they had a wonderful run to the championship last year. But I think we were all very excited to see how they matched up against their um, 
Staples Center counterparts, and we never really got that opportunity. I was also tempted to say the Portland Trailblazers. I actually, mm. going into the bubble, I thought if the Blazers were able to obtain that eighth seed, they would beat the Lakers. And then as the injuries started to mount up, um, that became a little bit less realistic. Recall the Blazers actually won game one of that series, and it was only in game two when Damian Lillard dislocated his finger that the Lakers kind of started to run away with that one. So I do think um, a healthy Blazers team could give the Lakers some problems, but I, I, I have to go back to the Clippers again, though, because I actually think the Clippers will have a very good chance of beating this Lakers team. I think I'd give the Clippers like a 55% chance. And it's just like we were saying before, the Lakers – they don't really have those elite one-on-one wing defenders, especially now that they replaced Danny Green with Dennis Schroeder in the starting lineup. I mean, that's a great luxury to have in the regular season to give LeBron a rest and kind of put that responsibility on a more conventional point guard's shoulders. But it we it's going to weaken their defense if they go up against the Clippers because Danny Green, you can put him on Paul George and be pretty much fine with it like Danny Green he's gets through screens he um is a high effort guy like he'd track Paul George around the floor which has become more of a um, priority this season as Paul George's shooting percentages have gone up and his movements gone up as well but shooter I don't think he's really that guy I think Paul George would be able to isolate pretty effectively against him and then for Kawhi Leonard like they don't really have outside of LeBron James who I would be very surprised to see LeBron James um, be the Lakers' base matchup on Kawhi Leonard for most of the series. I'm sure LeBron will take his reps on Kawhi like late in the fourth quarter of competitive games, but I don't think LeBron will necessarily be an innings eater on Kawhi Leonard. And so I just don't think the Lakers have those elite one-on-one stoppers that are going to be very necessary to take down L.A., yeah, I don't know. The LA teams are fire. I don't know, dude. Did wait? Think, ja- what's up? I think the Jazz are better than the Clippers. So wow, maybe, really? maybe. Yeah. ESPN thinks so too. <laughs> they're so well rounded. Yeah, I know, dude. Their shooting's insane. They got they were up by like thirty against the Warriors in like five minutes. Yeah, so they're yeah, the pretty- Jazz are very dangerous. They've they're a great team. Um, I feel so like would you, would you put the Jazz as the Lakers' kryptonite then? Uh, no. I think I think if like matchup wise, I think the Clippers are yeah. a worse matchup for the Lakers. But I think as, like just overall as a team, I think the the Jazz are better. Even though it's like the Jazz, like did they make any moves in the off season? It seems like they didn't. Uh, I like, mean, yeah. Aside from. Aside from re-signing Clarkson and bringing back favors, they didn't they didn't yeah. make any huge changes. Which is kind of crazy. Like they've been able to just like get better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I don't know. They haven't really. Which is kind to. of funny because going into last season, going into the 2019-20 season, I had the Jazz. I said they were gonna finish at the top of the Western Conference, which that looked very bad at the end of the season when they struggled to like the uh sixth seed and i was just a year too early on it yeah I guess. early Dude, same team i still can't believe they freaking blew it last year 
yeah, that was bad. <laughs> that was the stupidest thing ever. Every single game I texted Joe and I'm like, it's all right. The, the Jazz is still going to take the series anyway. And then the Nuggets freaking, I don't know, just Jamal Murray, dude. He's an yeah. absolute. They did it to the Clippers too. Yeah. Yeah, what a run that postseason was for the Nuggets. That was that was amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, Jonah. Talking about the clip, are we done with talking about the Lakers? Yeah, you want to hit the Clippers next? All right, the Clippers. I mean, besides, it's just it's just PG and Kawhi, yeah. Well, they're gonna I, take I actually, him to the promised land. Yeah, and I think the addition of Nicholas Batum is <laughs> yeah, big that's big time as well as if they can have a healthy Patrick Beverly and Serge Ibaka. So they've they've made some additions that while they were maybe marginal in terms of just the usage those players will have, I think they're still important because one of the downfalls of the Clippers last year, in my opinion, was just that their offense was so stationary and it was almost like a your turn, my turn sort of thing where it would just be different players kind of going into isolation at different times and they didn't have a bunch of great passers and their offense didn't really have like any sort of theory to it, but just kind of having Nicholas Batum in there and Kawhi Leonard has improved as a passer yet again, which is a really cool development late in his career, but well, not late in his career, but later into his career when players generally tend to kind of plateau, but um, in either way though, it's just been very nice to see the Clippers actually move the ball a lot more. Maybe that has a lot to do with Ty Lu coming in as a coach. He seems to have kind of given their offense some more juice but I think this is a very different Clippers team. Their offense kind of stagnated. It would get stuck in the mud. But this year it looks a lot more fluid, um, a lot more movement, like I was saying. And they're getting a lot better shots. And that's kind of being reflected by the percentages they're shooting. Like Kawhi, Paul George, both members of the 50-40-90 club. Damn. Um, Patrick Beverly shoots 40% from three. Batum shoots 40% from three. Marcus Morris, he's a 40% shooter. Um, Serge Ibaka, 39%, three-point shooter. Yeah, Kennard, Lou Williams. Like, this team is just stacked with guys who can shoot the ball on offense and keep 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 it moving. So this is just, like, a very well-rounded team, I would say. Yeah. I don't know. Grant, what are the biggest weaknesses you think on the Clips? Hmm. I don't know. I mean, they're pretty <laughs> Yeah. I put a big old question mark for that part of – the little like I don't like I don't know what a big like main weakness of theirs would be. I would say um bench defense because the Clippers they've kind of been a middle of the pack defense, which is surprising because when they're starting units on the floor, they're number one by a mile, but it's just their bench unit that's getting absolutely punished. Like when they roll out combinations <laughs> of like Lou Williams, Luke Kennard, Reggie Jackson. Like those guys are, that's a very flammable um, <laughs> group of bench guards and then throwing Zubots in there. And it just, um, Hack City. They're, yeah, they're kind of getting toasted. But I, I do think that they can make a trade though, because Kennard, Reggie Jackson, Lou Williams, all those guys are somewhat redundant upon each other, in my opinion. Like I would love to see them get George Hill, who's um, a more low usage player, but probably a better shooter than any of those three other players and he can actually guard guys on the perimeter so I think he would be a massive get for this um Clippers team 
even a guy like, I don't, and I don't know if they have the assets to go after him, but like a Larry Nance or not even necessarily a guard, but just one more um, really good perimeter defender. That way they're not getting just, just destroyed every time they put <laughs> those bench groups in the game. I mean, it's not a huge weakness because in the playoffs, you would hope they don't have to play those guys too often without Kawhi or PG on the floor. But I mean, if you had to pinpoint one particular area, that's probably what I would say. Who's, uh, what's like the differential? So like when they're on defense and stuff, how many points are they giving up when, the, when those guys are on the floor? Yeah, I'll, I'll look it up really quick. Is it well, really bad? You, Is it like legit really bad? Yeah, it's pretty bad. Um, Grant, do you want to give their kryptonite while I look up the difference? <laughs> Sorry, Joan, I didn't mean to put you on the spot there, guy. No, I should have. I should have had it prepared. No. Yeah, I don't know if I've ever seen Joan have to look something up on the. Yeah, <laughs> Joan is just just brushing to his phone, bro. <laughs> Are you just going to ESPN, Jonah? No. <laughs> okay, so when Canard's on the floor, their defense is eleven points per one hundred possessions worse. When Lou Williams is on the floor, their defense is 11 points per 100 possessions worse. And when Lou Williams is on the floor, their defense is 8 points per 100 possessions worse. Like 10 points. Yeah, contrast that with when Patrick Beverly is on the floor, who would would be like the point guard in, in place of those guys. The defense is 14 per 100 better. Paul George... 11 per 100 better um batum and Kawhi both 10 per 100 better so there is a very um steep decline damn from starting to bench defense for the clippers yeah like that's that's like almost the range of like best defense in, in the league to yeah <laughs> like that's yeah that's yeah. trash as hell um yeah grant what's the grits the kryptonite the lakers Mm. probably i mean I, I feel like the kryptonite for every team has to be either the clippers or the lakers i mean like just like thinking about it because just they're the best teams yeah we could have done that but that that I, that would have been a little boring i wanted to, i wanted to get oh because you like that's really i think you hit it right on the head i mean those these two la teams are like the best teams in the conference well, them and the Jazz are the best teams in the conference by quite a bit, but um, I wanted to get it interesting with at least some of them. So yeah. for the Clippers, I actually went with the Phoenix Suns because the Phoenix Suns, they're one of the few teams who I can say, actually they're the only team in the West that I can say they have the horses on the wing to slow down George and Leonard. Like when you look at Mikhail Bridges, who's just been a phenomenal defensive player, they've got Jay Crowder who's one of the like the strongest wing defenders in the league. He'd be perfect for Kawhi because Crowder may not have like the foot speed to keep up with uh, LeBron James or um, like a Kevin Durant maybe. But like Kawhi, who relies so much on that upper body strength and just backing guys down, like you're not going to back Jay Crowder down, I feel like. And then they also have Cam Johnson, who he's a second year player, but he's already a fairly solid defender at that position too. So they're one of the few teams where I don't act. And then Chris Paul, like for a point guard, he's pretty strong physical dude, as well as Devin Booker, who, who's like a big, sh- big shooting guard as well. Got those broad shoulders. Like they're just not going to like the Clippers are not going to be able to bully the Suns. I feel like they're the Suns are like one of the only teams where Kawhi Leonard and Paul George aren't going to be able to 
pick out the man that's guarding them and just isolate against them, which I think that's a big thing. And then the other point I wanted to bring up with the Suns, and this is a little bit more intangible when you think about it this way, but these Clippers, like they have not proven themselves to be the most mentally and emotionally strong team in the NBA. Like they <laughs> blew that three Denver. They were down 50 at the half to Dallas. They blew a 20 point lead in the second half to the Warriors. Like this Clippers team, they can let go of the rope if things don't go their way. And if you're an emotionally fragile team or if you're if your head's not fully in the game, Chris Paul, he's not the guy you want to be going up against. Like Chris <laughs> Chris Paul, he's one of the best leaders in the NBA. He's one of like the most competitive players in the NBA. And he's just got a knack for kind of getting under players' skins and kind of just playing that mind game with people. And I think if it was Chris Paul against the Clippers, like uh, that's a little scary if I'm LA. I agree, dude. When that Maverick Suns game, that was fire. And Chris Paul, ageless wonder. I don't understand. Yeah. Yeah, he's still playing very well. The Suns are scary. What's their record? What are they, like 15-9 and nine right now? Damn. 14-9, uh, I think. 14 yeah. Shoot. And yeah. they got probably their biggest win of the season last night against Milwaukee. I know. I hated it. <laughs> yeah. yeah the 15, why, why, why? Well, I want, just because the Blazers compete with them. Bro, it's so funny. I was watching – flight reacts and uh when he calls Giannis like a kumpo or something <laughs> it's I so not watch him. he's so funny so funny i hate him why because <laughs> he knows nothing <laughs> <laughs> it's so frustrating donna kick <laughs> so funny uh what team? What team's next? Is there a particular order we're going in? Or you want to go Jazz? Jazz next? Grant, do you want to pick our next team? Yeah, let's do the Jazz. All right. Let's go. The Spider. Mm. He's going to lead him to the promised land. Yeah? Wait, should I go? Okay. <laughs> if you okay, want, so, bro. Okay. I, I feel like going into this season – I was a lot higher on the Jazz than a lot of people were, and now I feel like I'm a lot lower on the Jazz than a lot of people are because they're a wonderful regular season team, <laughs> to be sure. But I kind of think I kind of think Utah they might be a bit of a paper tiger. Um, really? Out? Yeah. <laughs> I'm just a little bit worried about them going up against the best defenses in the league because so much of what they do is predicated on just wonderful ball movement rudy gobert one of the best screeners in the nba creates a lot of space they've got two very good playmaking guards that can really set up their teammates and everybody on the floor for utah is just a very smart player who keeps the ball moving they are incredible at forcing defenses into rotations and if there's a single like weak link on the opposing defense like utah is just going to exploit them and get an open shot they really can keep their opponents on their heels and kind of um, force their will against other teams but when you're going up against like the Lakers or the Clippers who have a bunch of like really good versatile defenders who can guard a variety of positions and they can switch the pick and rolls and they can um, like actually execute rotations on the perimeter I just kind of question how effective that strategy is going to be for Utah and if that doesn't work like 
what's their plan B like this, the jazz, they don't really have an incredible isolation score. Like sure. Donovan Mitchell, he was lighting it up against the nuggets in the playoffs last year, but that (laughs) was very, very bad. And once they were able to get Gary Harris back from injury after the NBA went on hiatus for a couple of days, after they got Gary Harris back, he was really the key to kind of slowing Donovan Mitchell down for the second half of that series as the, Um, Nuggets won three straight so I just kind of am still unsure about how this Jazz team is going to play against the very best competition in the Western Conference and on defense as well they just don't have that really good one-on-one wing stopper like you're probably pointing to Royce O'Neal as that one guy and Royce O'Neal he was awful last year in the playoffs and so it's going to be hard for me to trust him again I know he's having an incredible shooting season this year, but he's still he's still one of the lower usage players in the NBA. He hasn't really made an impact on offense too much, aside from just hitting in one or two open threes a game. And it just really feels like he was a deer in headlights last year against the Nuggets. And aside from that, you're kind of looking at Boyan Bogdanovich, Joe Ingles, like Jordan Clarkson. They're, I mean, I just don't really think they're scaring anybody with their like isolation scores or defenders. And I think they have such good ball movement and their players are so smart and they have such a good game plan that it can like, they can pretty easily beat like 20 out of the 30 teams in the NBA, but against the highest competition, I just don't think they have the really the talent to stack up. Yeah. Dude, I'm looking at their thing. Royce O'Neal, he's shooting 45% from yeah. three. Yeah. Wow. What's is um do the Jazz have the highest um overall team field goal percentage in the league? Uh that's it, a good it question. Says, it's like they have it says 46, and that's hella high. And they're shooting 42 or 40 from three as a team. That's gotta be up there, right? I'm checking right now. <laughs> Watching their games, it's like everyone that's on the court besides Gobert is like hitting threat. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's scary. Like they just have so much shooters, and I don't know. Boyan and uh, uh, Joe Ingles are like the same player. (laughs) (laughs) They're solid. They look the same. Yeah, they look like they look like forty-year-old dads. Yeah, (laughs) men's league. They are the fourth best shooting team in the NBA, only trailing the Bucks, Clippers, and Nets. Oh, okay. There you go. Yeah, so yeah. still very good company to be in. My I'd say. Um, so Jonah, you just gave your uh, thoughts on why they're gonna make it. What's the case for against? Wait, uh, everything I just said was a case against the. Jazz. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, oh wait, you did? Oh shit. Bro, I wasn't. Yeah, I was look I was too obsessed with Royce O'Neal's 45% from beyond 3. Okay, I'll say my kryptonite. I think the the Nuggets are definitely Really? Yeah. I mean, yeah. yeah, after seeing Jokic do what he did against Utah, that's kind of kind of hard to forget that. Yeah. And like, I don't know, they're pretty similar teams besides the fact like their focal point of like Gobert versus uh, uh, Jokic, which are like <laughs> opposites. And I don't know. I just think that in the playoffs, 
Jokic like does a lot more for you than Gobert. Even though Gobert's really good and he helps your defense a lot. It's like mm-hmm. I don't know. He Jokic is just everything for them on offense. And I don't really like the Nuggets, but if there's a like if there's a team, it depends how they're playing though, you know. Mm-hmm. But I really cool. hope we get to see that series again. That that's a great budding rivalry in the NBA, I think. When you look at Jokic against Gobert, um, Murray against Mitchell, that was incredible in the bubble last year. I very much hope we get to see a rematch. That and then just how exciting that game seven was too last year. That that would be a treat to get to see that one again. Um, I would be surprised, honestly. Like I could see them three six. I don't think the Nuggets mm-hmm. are. I I could see the Nuggets going to six. Yeah, yeah. The the way they've been playing, I I think that's within the realm of possibility. Kellen, do you have a kryptonite for this Jazz team? I don't know, Jonah. <laughs> Maybe, uh, dude. Let's see. For the Jazz. I, dude, I honestly have no idea. I don't even. I don't even know. Honestly, would it just be a big, a physical team, or a team that can body well, them up? The team I went with was the Clippers, just because when the Clippers get their lineup of Beverly, George, Leonard, Morris, Abaka on the floor, they can pretty much switch everything. I really think they can take away a lot of the easy threes that the Jazz have yeah. been able to get against less talented teams. And then if the Jazz were to and then once that kind of bogs down, like I don't think any of the Jazz players are necessarily scaring the Clippers' defense in isolation. Like Batum, George, Leonard, even Morris, and even Abaka to an extent, those are all guys who can guard quite a few positions. Like I don't think you're going to have a lot of success posting up Bogdanovich against Beverly, for, for instance. Like, or Mitchell, is he going to try to get downhill against like Marcus Morris? Maybe, but. I just don't think there are going to be very many advantages for the Jazz to attack against the Clippers. And then on the other end, they really don't have any anybody to um, compete with like Kawhi Leonard. And when they get that lineup on the floor and have Serge Ibaka kind of drag Gobert out of the paint, like I really just don't think the Jazz are going to be able to do much to slow down the Clippers' offense. And the Clippers have had one of the best offenses in the league so far. And so... Yeah, I really think the Clippers are going to give Utah a lot of problems. Even though the Clipper, or even though the Jazz have played the Clippers very well in the regular season the past couple of years, I just have a feeling that a playoff series between those two would be a different story. Yeah, I have no idea. I just know that. I don't. I dude. I I, I besides the Warriors, I don't even watch the other teams, Jonah. But that's why. That's why I wanted to add in the Spurs. Yeah, because so we can talk about the Spurs. At least if you're watching the Warriors, you're seeing every other team at least a couple of times every year. So, yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> um, do you want to pick a different team? I don't know anything about the Jazz besides Donovan Mitchell, bro. Should we go to the Nuggets because we were just talking about the Nuggets and stuff? <laughs> yeah, let's go to the Nuggets. Your favorite player, Nikola. All-star yeah, so, starter Nikola Jokic. Yeah, we don't need to relitigate um, the Nikola Jokic <laughs> thing from last time. Just, um, just to bring up, I guess that 
the, the statistics have not improved. I was sure to check that before we started the podcast today. And there has not been <laughs> any um, uptick in the Nuggets defense uh-huh. when Jokic is on the floor. Yeah. Surprisingly. And so um, I, yeah, I, I do think that'll be a major weakness for them in the playoffs. Like you just need to have like good room protection. Like that's not really one of those negotiable things. I mean, 19 of the last 20 NBA champions have had a top 11 defense and the one who was at 11, that was a team with Stephen Curry, Clay Thompson and Kevin Durant. So, I mean, you, you really need that upper tier defense to kind of survive in the playoffs. And not only do the Nuggets not have a top tier defense, they don't really even have a middle tier defense. Like it's just been kind of bad. So that's going to be a big issue for them. Um, if there was a positive, like Nikola Jokic, he just creates so many like mismatch nightmares for defenses. Like there aren't very many teams that can really hang with Jokic. There definitely is one who can, and we'll get to them. But I mean, yeah, I don't think teams are really going to be looking forward to seeing Jokic in the playoffs, especially he really the last couple of years has kind of risen to the occasion, which most centers don't normally do. Usually the centers who are kind of drivers of their team's offenses have historically kind of failed to rise to the occasion in the playoffs, at least recently, like in the past 10 years, but Jokic is a definite exception to that. So. Yes, sir. I don't know. Uh, the nuggets are pretty good. They beat the warriors. So must be pretty good team. <laughs> yeah. I'm low on the nuggets. I don't like, I don't, I don't think they're very good. Like, I just feel like they don't have, like, especially at the wing, mm-hmm. I just feel like they have a few players that are, like, at similar level, like Jermichael Green, Will Barton, those guys. Yeah. But, like, they're not super deep, and none of them are that good. Yeah, exactly. And it's maybe like, maybe if yeah. Jamal Murray was, like, playing the way he was in the bubble, or even at least close to that, mm-hmm. we'd be, like, singing a different tune about Denver. But really, it's pretty much been a one-man show for them on offense. Like, Murray has not been the co-star that we sort of hoped he would be. Yeah. And, I don't know, Paul Millsap. Paul Millsap's kind of washed, in my opinion. Yeah. The, I like the idea of Millsap on this team just because I think in order to be successful, at some point, the Nuggets are going to have to find a power forward. He's a really, like, good rim protector like they're going to have to find their like Draymond Green or their Anthony Davis or even like their PJ Tucker or Paul Millsap was like that five years ago, but you're 100% right. Like this version of Paul Millsap, he's not really filling that role for them. And he has been able to hit open shots, which that's um, been good for their offense. But yeah, they're definitely in order to win with Jokic, they're going to need really good defense at the power forward position. And, Millsap's just not really bringing that at this stage in his career. Yeah. yeah. Bro, did you know Michael Porter Jr. I think could be really good. I don't know if it will be this year though. Like in the next few years, he's going to be really good, but mm-hmm. I don't know if he'll do it for him this year. Yeah. Yeah. yeah we're going to have to see him on the court for more than like 10 games. He's been <laughs> in and out of those COVID protocols all year. Yeah. I know. But uh, but yeah, the upside of Michael Porter Jr. is very exciting, especially um, whether that means like he'll be a great player for the Nuggets or they'll be able to like put him in a really big trade. Like either way, I think the key to elevating this team is has a lot to do with Michael Porter Jr.'s development. Yeah. 
I, when I was watching the game with the Spurs, oh yeah, is it Azabuki? One of the uh, he's the other. I think that's his name. He's the other Warriors announcer, and he called. I've never heard an announcer call another player like washed up on air before, but he said Lamarcus Aldridge, he's kind of washed up or whatever. I've I was just kind of shook because I've never heard an announcer ever say that of another player before. Yeah, the Warriors broadcast there. Hey, Bob is nice. Bob is. I don't like them. Well, okay. they're annoying. Why? They're nice to the other team. It's like fanboys the whole time. I mean, like every every team's broadcast is gonna be like homers, but they're just like, mm, man. Hey, Bob yeah. Fitzgerald's kind of nice. He's good. He's good. They also they I, do they I do statements hate, where they actually talk about the other team. I hate I, the I, Warriors announcers' use of those little colloquialisms as well. Like <laughs> if I have to hear them call a player like savage, like three or four times. Oh yeah. Like, that's yeah. Or, way. or he was like, uh, what do you say? He's like, Oh, when Steph like made a three, he's like, Oh, so inspirational. Yeah. Oh my I, God. Yeah. Stop. Yeah. You guys are haters, man. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's it is kind of bad because every time Steph will make a three, sometimes they'll be talking about we're witnessing greatness, the greatest shooter of all time. It's like we get it, okay? But yeah, it's all right. It's all right. So who did you guys have for the Nuggets <laughs> kryptonite? Because I thought there was a pretty obvious one, and that is the Los Angeles Lakers. the The Nuggets just have no rim protection. Who likes to get to the rim? LeBron James. Dennis Schroeder, Anthony Davis, even like Montrezl Harrell. Like the Lakers are just going to be able to exploit that major weakness of Denver just relentlessly. And that's not going to be pretty. And then on the other end, that these two teams played last Thursday and the Lakers, they were able to pretty much slow um, Jokic down to a halt. So what they did was they didn't guard him with Anthony Davis, which ended up being a pretty good strategy. They put Gasol on him, and Gasol, he really could slow down Jokic. Like, I, he's not going to be able to stop him one-on-one, but he at least makes Jokic work. And the thing about Jokic, he's a wonderful post player, but his moves are anything but fast developing. Like, he really needs to take his time and get that footwork going and knock his defender off balance and then kind of create that angle where he can get off that hook shot. And it's incredibly effective. But when you've got probably the best help side room protector in the entire NBA, Anthony Davis can just pretty much see those moves coming from a mile away. And that was really key to the Lakers slowing down the Nuggets. The Lakers, um, that one-two punch of sort of Gasol and Anthony Davis – they held Jokic to 13 points on six of 16 shooting. So he was really able to get nothing going against that Lakers front court. And then when you combine that with, like I said before, the major advantages the Lakers um, have on offense, I think the Nuggets are going to be lucky to take that series to five games again if these two teams were to meet in the playoffs. That's what I was going to say. They get swept. Yeah. Yeah, I would not be surprised if that yes, right. is what happens. Honestly, like, I don't think – I think Denver's going to be out in the first round, like, no matter who they play. Yeah, I mean, 
good unless the West, they, there's just so many good teams that unless they like somehow get into the I like I just can't see it. Cause like even if they get the four or the three, I think whoever's top six will be mm-hmm. like Blazers, Phoenix, Clippers, Lakers, Utah. I don't think any of those teams can lose to them. Yeah. Yeah. I, they're going to have to figure some things out in Denver for sure. Callan, what team do you want to get to next? Um, to talk about, you want to talk about the Suns? Yeah. After yeah. their browsing victory last night. Um, who'd, they be, who'd they beat? The Bucks. Oh. And Giannis, they took Giannis's best haymaker. Like, what did he have? 42 points, 45 points? 47. 47. Wow. Yeah. So Giannis had, he had a huge game, but the Suns were able to come out with that one. And maybe if Drew Holiday was playing, that might be a different story. Like most of the Suns offense comes from those two guards. And so having Drew Holiday, like that would have been a big thing for Milwaukee, but really the way the Suns have been winning most of the season, it's just on the defense. They've got a top six defense in the NBA and I think a lot of that is out to Mikhail Bridges. He's legitimately one of the best defenders at his position in the NBA. And then they have Jay Crowder, DeAndre Aiden. He's not the most versatile guy in the world, but he's at least like a very big um, body that you can just put at the rim. And he's got his shot blocking instincts have gotten quite a bit better this year too. He doesn't foul out in the first five minutes that he's on the court anymore. <laughs> and so I think his improvement's been big. And so, yeah, I mean, the Suns team, they don't, they're not, they, in in order to like succeed at the highest levels, I really think you need like a top five to 10 player in the NBA at least. And the Suns, they might not even have a top 15 player. So I just think the Suns, they may lack that um, really high end talent, but they're a very well-rounded team. They don't have any like one weakness to exploit. And so, yeah, and I think. kind of how the Jazz are too, though, that, and and in my opinion, that's kind of like a strength of theirs is that mm-hmm. they're just like so well rounded. Yeah, uh, I think I think the Jazz are a lot better than the Suns, though. I think the Suns are kind of underrated because like they had a lot of hype when they started out really hot, mm-hmm. and then they lost more, and now I feel like no one's talking about them. Yeah, now now they're back. They've won what seven of their last eight now. Dang. Yeah, I feel like they're fourth or fifth in the west like best team yeah i think that's fair wow yeah i honestly have no idea i only i've only saw i've only watched one sun's game they're pretty deep they look good their depth is a big thing too at a certain point i think they're gonna need to figure out backup center because the lot the lineups of frank (laughs) Lineups have been surprisingly very <laughs> positive when it's been Dario Sarichin and now he's been missing time. So it's been Frank Kaminsky and that's, that's been a little bit less exciting. <laughs> but I think having one more, I, and that's kind of a, that's kind of a common theme for quite a few of these teams is there are a lot of teams in the NBA. Uh, maybe, maybe you should have picked up us on white side. If he was, if he was just going to sign for the minimum in Sacramento, maybe if you should have given him, Giving him a second look, but facts. Dang. Yeah, Frank Kaminsky. He, he, it seemed like he got a foul every one minute he was in the game. 
Yeah. <laughs> they couldn't wait to get Aiden back in the game. Um I don't know. What other what other team, Jonah? Well, do we have to give their crypt tonight? Yes. Well, but I feel like there's a path. Yeah, I don't know. What what is your I like how you could think out of the box, Jonah. What's their crypt tonight? So the thing about um this Suns team, they've had a very good defense this year. And a lot of that is due to the kind of shots they give up. Like They've been running a very extreme version of a drop coverage where DeAndre, he's got decent mobility. So he'll kind of get up and sort of semi-hedge the pick and roll, but then drop back very fast to the basket. They're not giving up any shots at the rim. And when they do allow shots at the rim, they're not going in with any sort of high frequency. They've got smart perimeter defenders like Bridges and Paul, and even Booker has kind of improved in this regard. He'll at least make one or two rotations per play. So they're not really giving up the wide open threes either. What they are giving up, they give up the fourth most mid-rangers in the NBA, the second most long twos in the NBA. Who can hit those shots? Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum. I think think if the Blazers go up against the Suns, I think Lillard and McCollum will be able to just kind of get into a rhythm taking those shots off the dribble. I don't think um, Aiden – like. The, where the Blazers have run into trouble in the past is with defenders like Draymond Green and Anthony Davis and these really dynamic forwards and big men who can get up and kind of stop stop the leak at its source and kind of prevent Damian Lillard from getting any airspace as soon as he gets off the screen. DeAndre Aiden, he's not going to be able to do that. And I think Lillard and McCollum will be able to get pretty comfortable getting into their long twos and getting into like shots off the dribble. And I think that will be a major problem for Phoenix if these two teams were to meet. Plus, I feel like their defense is best at the wing, mm-hmm. which is at the guard. Yeah, but the Blazers, like, they're not really attacking from the wings. Yeah, yeah. They're, the, the wing guys that they have, they're, most of them are just going to be catch and shoot or like Derek Jones Jr. still going to be off an assist. Like they don't really need to have – I mean, yeah, they're going to switch like Mikhail Bridges onto Lillard maybe, mm-hmm. but then like, then you got a mismatch and Rodney Hood is posting up, you know, it's like, I don't think their, their defense like suits the Blazers. Yeah. Cause I was going to say like, you can put um, Bridges on Damian Lillard, but the Blazers could just counter that with bringing in Rodney Hood and Carmelo Anthony. Cause we've got these guys who will beat the Suns um perimeter or, or will beat the Suns like wing defenders in the post or beat the Suns guards in the post. And then on the other end, we can probably afford to have like 15 or 20 minutes a game with Melo on the court. Cause I because it's the kind of the same thing is true for Phoenix. Like we're not worried about Bridges and Crowder scoring the ball. So yeah we can we can have the luxury of putting like more offensively focused players on the floor. So I think yeah you're hitting the nail. I think the Suns their biggest strength kind of don't match up against what the Blazers want to do anyways. Yeah. Should we talk about the Blazers? Yeah, let's talk about the Blazers. Let's go. Got it, Jonah. Okay, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, we'll get to their crypt tonight. But the Blazers, they're another team like the Suns, like the Jazz, where there just aren't – a whole lot of weaknesses. I mean, it's kind of hard to tell because we haven't really seen the full Blazers team and sure their defense is the third worst in the NBA. So, I mean, obviously that's been a big weakness so far, 
But when it's Nurkic in the game, like when Nurkic has been on the court, our defense has been top 14 in the NBA. So I would be loath to make any like sweeping judgments about the quality of the Blazers defense before we at least get a few more games of the full strength Blazers under our belt. Because as we all know, too, that wasn't even um, – wait, did I say Jokic? No. Okay, good. I meant Nurkic. And yeah. that wasn't even that wasn't even prime Nurkic. Like that was Nurkic after he got off a flight from Bosnia, was a little bit overweight. Um his uh grandmother had unfortunately passed away over um the summer and he just had his mind on other things besides basketball. So that that wasn't really the Nurkic that we will expect to see later in the season. And he was still really elevating our defense. And so I just think the a high end for this Blazers team is still like very tantalizing to me because like when Nurkic is on the floor, the defense is above average. Like we've got our heads above the water. And then with Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum, like we're inevitably going to be one of the best offenses in the league. And so um, I think this Blazer team, like they're, they're going to scare some people. I think the downfall similarly to the jazz is that, um, Derek Jones and Robert Covington, they're wonderful team defenders. They're great at getting into passing lanes, but they're not really those one-on-one stoppers that you kind of need to survive against like the best players in the NBA. And so I think that would be the one issue, but um, yeah, I, I'm kind of bullish on how the Blazers are looking recently. And especially on the idea of this team once McCollum and Nurkic are back. Yeah. I think if they can, stay around where they are once they get Nurk and CJ back, which I mean, could be pretty soon for CJ. Um, But like, I feel like they're going to finish fourth in the West. I don't think, I don't think there's any reason why they wouldn't. Um, But yeah, like they're just well-rounded and the defense is really bad right now. That's like, obviously the, the biggest thing for them. But like you said, getting Nurk back, Because then you have Derek Jones and Covington who are pretty – I mean, compared to who else the Blazers have pretty good defenders where it's like instead of having Ennis Cantor, who's a bad defender, putting Nurk out there, it kind of like adds – it like makes them better because they're actually with a better defender so they don't have to like cover as much and help and stuff like that. But, uh, yeah, yeah. And I've kind of completely ridden off um, hoping for this as even a possibility. But I think Zach Collins, if he ever gets healthy and plays like he did in 2019, like that adds yet another dimension for the Blazers, having two seven-footers on the floor, both of whom are great rim protectors and Nurkic and Collins, and Collins can space the floor and shoot. Like that, the Blazers, they already have a lot of options in terms of of the way we want to play. And that's kind of fueled by the depth of the team but having Collins that just like increases the realm of possibilities tenfold just because of um his defensive chops while still being able to space the floor and shoot but like I said I'm kind of I'm not holding my breath waiting for Zach to be back on the court yeah me neither but I I was thinking because I was thinking like oh I bet the Blazers won't after he got injured like got surgery again I was like oh the I don't think he'll be a blazer again. Like, I don't think he was going to play this season and I thought they weren't going to assign him, but, and then I saw some highlights of him of the few games that he played in the bubble. And I was like, 
man, I want him back really bad. Yeah. Like, it's just – it's been, like, such little that he's played. Yeah. Like, he's he could be really good. And, yeah, now I hope they re-sign him. Yeah, I mean, I don't – at this point, I can't see him getting like a huge offer in free. Yeah, exactly. So. Like the fact that he got surgery, it almost kind of like helps the Blazers as far as salary wise. Like I feel like no one's gonna offer him very much. Yeah, I think. Um, but and with the injuries that we've had this year, like if the Nuggets have had the injuries that we had, they would be like. 12th in the west yeah no no question like we're pretty deep if we can get those guys back and keep them playing like that's the thing simons and trent are playing super well it's just Mm -hmm. whether they can keep playing that well when they have less minutes Mm -hmm. kind of a big question mark and for both of those guys well i hesitate to get um say this about simons because simons is one of those players who sort of does benefit from just being able to get into the flow of the game i think but I think Gary Trent, he actually is going to play better when his role decreases because it's really just those catch and shoot shots that he's really proficient in. And I mean, I love more than anyone seeing him sort of expand the game and get getting more comfortable and confident. But like the two pointers, especially when he gets all the way to the hoop, like that's still not a super effective weapon for Gary Trent. Like that's he hasn't quite mastered that yet. Um so if anything, Gary Trent, when his role decreases, he becomes almost a little bit more dangerous, I would say, especially because he gets less defensive attention. You can kind of go back to playing that exact same role he did in the bubble, which, I mean, he's a much better player now, but that role, he was still a little bit more efficient in that role he had when he was like the third option instead of the, now he's the first option a lot of times. Yeah. Who do you think is the kryptonite for the Blazers this year? Clippers. Yeah, I was going to say, we've already kind of seen that story unfold this season. Yeah, I feel like it's easy yeah. to say that. Like, the Lakers aren't that bad besides, obviously, LeBron. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The Lakers aren't a horrible matchup for the Blazers, I don't think. And I thought that last year, too. And yeah, and I, I agree. Yeah. It didn't work out last year, but – it's, I mean, if we can be more healthy when the playoffs come around. Yeah. If Zach play. Collins is healthy and we're playing the Lakers, that all of a sudden gets very interesting. I think. Yeah. Cause then we can guard AD. Yeah. Like, yeah, I totally agree with you with the Clippers too. Um, especially because like they're not really scared of like Jones or Covington. That kind of gives Kawhi Leonard free range to help off as much as he wants. And, he just kind of created so much mayhem in the first game between the Blazers and Clippers. Like he was disrupting everything we wanted to do. And Damian Lillard had an awful game. CJ McCollum, he was red hot. I remember he hit like seven three pointers in that game, but I want to say Dame didn't hit a single three. And um, against so yeah. the Lakers earlier. Oh no, the Clippers. Sorry. Yeah, the Clippers. Oh yeah, that was that was not good. Yeah, I, yeah, I agree with you 100%. The Clippers are the one team the Blazers just absolutely do not want to see. And that's why it's kind of concerning to see the Jazz do so well, is that now the Lakers, the Lakers might be in that 3-6 matchup or even probably not the 4-5 matchup, but if the Lakers are like, or if the Clippers are the third seed and the Blazers somehow end up at six, um, I know I would rather be at seven or even eight in that scenario, even though I know it would mean having to do the playing game. I think I would still prefer 
taking my chances in the play and not having to play the Clippers in the first round. Yeah. Bro, the Blazers kryptonite's the Warriors, dude. <laughs> anytime, anytime the Warriors and them play, it's crazy. Is it not? Because well, you always I mean, get the, you always you always get the battle between who's better who's better point guard brings the best out of Stephen Dame. You get wild games. True. Very true. You're being um, sarcastic, Jonah. Or are you actually agreeing with me? Well, I mean, I I. I love to see that matchup because I mean those are undoubtedly the two best point guards in the league. I I don't really think the Warriors would match up super well against the Blazers. Yeah. Even though like thinking about it that way, that would be awesome for the Blazers to play the Warriors and like for the first time have a better yeah. team. That would be so get, nice. Get revenge for the last half decade of the Warriors. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that would be nice. Looking at it that way, but it probably won't happen unless the the Warriors like have a really good season and the Blazers, and you get the four or five. That's like the only way. Or maybe if we the Blazers kind of fell off, we could play them in the playing game and be able oh, to yeah. knock them out of the playoffs. I don't know. But in either regard, should we move on to the Warriors? Yeah. Oh baby. Yes, the sir. The Warriors are a tough team to like pick a kryptonite for. Not that I'm jumping straight to that, but just um, using my thought process there to kind of explain their strength. Because I don't think there's a single team in the NBA that I would really pick to sweep the Warriors. Because you just have that variable of, you know, there's going to be one game where Steph Curry just scores like 50 points. He's The Warriors are just such a high variance team because so much of it depends on like to what degree Stephen Curry is scalding hot that night and how much effort Draymond Green gives because those two like factors bring the Warriors from like a middling lottery team to literally probably the best offense in the NBA and so they're just kind of such a hard team to predict what's going to happen with them um like I said at the start of the podcast the intriguing thing is still uh, how much trade ammo they have between Wiseman who while disappointing this season still you would imagine he will have a ton of value if the Warriors were ever looking to make a trade and that Timberwolves pick the value of that just keeps going up as the Timberwolves have just looked pretty miserable to start this season and so (laughs) that's probably the best trade chip in the entire NBA that the Warriors are in possession of right now is that Minnesota pick so the Warriors they can definitely make some moves if they want to um we talked about a few times Lonzo Ball and JJ Redick. I think both of those guys make sense. If you can offload Kelly Oubre for either of those two players, I would definitely do it for no other reason than just to keep that kind of cap spot filled up because um, the Warriors, they're well above the tax right now and they're going to be well above the salary cap next season. So if Kelly Oubre were to leave next year in free agency, they have no way to replace them because it's not like they're going to have um, salary cap space instead of Kelly Oubre. He's just going to be leaving and they're going to be um, replacing him with Ether um, instead, in, unless they were able to sort of negotiate that sort of sign and trade where they could, in that case, create a trade exception, which they could use to add another player. But aside from that, Kelly Oubre leaving in free agency would be pretty damaging. And that's why I think it might make sense for Golden State to um, 
move Ubre at the deadline and replace him with a player they know they can keep long-term. So Lonzo Ball, perfect example of that because he's going to be restricted after this year. So as long as ownership's willing to spin and Joe Lake has given no indication otherwise, um, the Warriors will be able to keep Lonzo past this year. And J.J. Redick as well. He's a similar case um, as Ubre that he'll be unrestricted after this year. But it's not like any team's going to be making some big offer to J.J. Redick. So you, you would think the Warriors would be able to keep him around. So I think both from a basketball standpoint and then just from a financial salary cap since moving forward, I think the Warriors are very likely to be movers at the trade deadline. Yeah, I hadn't really thought about that, but maybe I, def- I definitely agree. It, I, I think they have to as, as like as a team as mm-hmm. they are right now, because mm-hmm. like they're not like Denver. I can't see them beating any team in the first round. Like, yeah, I mean that I, I could see them. I could see them beating a team just if like because you never know if Steph Curry gets hot there. Like, if that happens, they're so much better than Denver under those circumstances. But there's just no guarantee that that will happen. But I probably wouldn't favor them in any first-round matchup, but there's just a ton of variability to them. Yeah. Yeah. I think if they were to make a trade, in addition to the guys we've already talked about, like center would be a position you would look to as well because – I know like in high leverage minutes, like late in the fourth quarter of close games, they'll probably have Draymond out there as the five, but it's not like you're going to put Draymond Green as the center for a majority of his minutes. So just having having a competent center when um, you're not playing Draymond Green at five, that would be a nice luxury for them. Obviously, you can have spurts of Kevon Looney as well, but just maybe another guy in there. I'm not exactly sure who that would be, but... Um, that could just be um, something they look into. Yeah, center probably is their biggest weakness. Yeah, I would say center is shooting. Any sort of offensive creation, that's kind of their downfall, is aside from Stephen Curry, like who's really who's really getting this offense humming? They, they don't have any great one-on-one player. Like they don't have anybody who's kind of attacking their guy in isolation. Their backup point guard, Brad Wanamaker, he's had a pretty rough year. Yeah, it's uh, awful from behind, from three, dude. He just, yeah. it's like, stupid. His defense has been very, very solid this year. But yeah, aside from Stephen Curry, they really have nobody who's kind of taking control of the offense. I mean, Draymond yeah. Green from a passing standpoint, but even he, he's not really creating advantages. He's the one guy who can sort of exploit the advantages that do um, – come as a product of Stephen Curry's brilliance, but like nobody else is really creating advantages outside of Steph. So one more just offensive piece would be big for them. That's kind of why I was um, advocating for them to go after Redick. That's one of the reasons why I think Lonzo might be an interesting one. Just adding one more skilled passer um, would help, especially in transition. Like if you can get out running with Steph, like that could be an interesting wrinkle. They just need, they just need, um, a, they need a change up on offense. Like they, they need something they can go to. That's not Stephen Curry. I feel like. Yeah. Callan, do you think that's fair? Yeah. I think that, I think that's fair for sure. It will, just next year when we get clay back, it's going to be fine. Hopefully if he's the same Hopefully. freaking player, who knows? Who knows? I mean, there's, there's no reason to expect him not to be. 
Shut up, Chone. <laughs> I hate you. How, are, is that almost every team? Yeah, well, we need to do the Mavericks and Spurs. We can go through them. The fast. Mavs, should baby. The, should we do the Warriors kryptonite really quick? Yeah, the Warriors kryptonite is basically any team they can shoot. I mean, we've already seen it. It's the Jazz. Um, the Warriors, yeah. they've got good one-on-one defenders in like um, Wiggins and Wanamaker. They've got good... They've got players who are like good ball hawks and can jump passing lanes in Ubre and Bazemore. They don't really have a ton of smart team defenders who are going to play on a rope and make consistent rotations. And the Jazz just prey on those kinds of teams. And the this is the one instance where I picked my kryptonite based off of a matchup that already happened to this year. And the Jazz annihilated the Warriors. Like they just ran rough shot on Golden State in the first quarter. It was like 18 to zero. And the Jazz were just getting one wide open three after another. So I think I think they match up pretty well against Golden State. Big time. But yeah, dude, we were down by 30 in like five minutes. Yeah. <laughs> in terms of the Mavs, kind of fire. As long as Chris Stavs doesn't start slinging three balls from 30, beyond, 30 feet plus, they're going to be fine. Well, I mean, that's probably what you want Chris Stops to be doing. Like, it, I guess. I mean, if he can make him, that's kind of that's kind of the point of having Chris Stops is that he's gonna kind of spread the floor and make some threes. Um, it would be not. It would be nice to have a big man that actually did something, though. I would be too scared of the opposite, where Chris Stops becomes a little too enamored with those post-up shots that he is not so great at. Um, Grant, do you have any thoughts about Dallas? Uh. I don't know. I I feel like they should be better than they are. Oh yeah. They're not they're not like super undeep. Like they they have some depth. Yeah. And like they they lost Curry, which that hurt them a lot, but yeah, I underrated how much they needed Curry. That was a big loss for them. Yeah, cuz like Hardaway, I thought that like and like he's not even playing that bad. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. Yeah, I think we're really going to have to wait till the playoffs to see like how their changes affected them because they were a fine regular season team last year. It was really the playoffs where like their lack of defense became an issue. And so I'll just be curious to see how the new guys like Josh Richardson or even James Johnson kind of stand up to that playoff crucible because even though it would seem that they kind of have dropping off from the statistically the best offense of all time. Like that's all going to be worth it if they get into the playoffs. And like Josh Richardson um, is like having a really impactful series guarding their opponent's best player. So I'm going to kind of, even though it's been a sort of troubling start for Dallas, I'm going to try to withhold judgment on that just to see how that sort of translates into the playoffs. But yeah. I mean, yeah, they've got to get there first, and they've been they've been a lot better recently. Are they back to like twelve and fourteen right now? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Um, and I think they're kind of weak at center, like mm-hmm. really Holly Stein, Dwight Powell, not very good. Yeah, and in the playoffs, if they go back to those lineups where they have Chris Stops at center, those are going to be really good offensively. But there are so many good centers in the West with like Gobert. Uh, Jokic, Nurkic, even like Anthony Davis, like they're going to have a hard time playing Chris Stops at center. Like the Clippers, that was really a special circumstance last year 
where like with guys like Montrez, Harrell, or Zubots, like they're not going to punish you too bad if, especially with Harold with Zubots, the rebounding can be an issue, but with Montrez, Harold, they really gave the um, Mavs the luxury of being able to keep Porzingis out there at the five, which I, there aren't very many teams that, that would work against. I don't think. Yeah. So their kryptonite, I put down the Lakers. They kind of have the similar flaws as Denver, just sort of weak rim protection. Um, nobody who really matches up too favorably with LeBron. Not that many people do, but who's their best guy to guard LeBron? Like Dorian Finney-Smith or Maxi Kleba? I don't, I don't think that's going to go too well. Even though, even though the Mavs and the Lakers, they've had some pretty good games over the past couple of years. Um, I think a playoff series, that would be troubling for Dallas. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, as long as Luke is playing, anything's possible, though. And the last team that we are getting to oh, – oh, and the other thing I wanted to bring this up. I wrote this down but forgot about it until now. I think another reason the Lakers um, will give the Mavericks a hard time is that KP-Luka two-man game, which is kind of the base of the Mavericks' offense. That's just going to be rendered completely ineffective because – if they have Anthony Davis guarding Luka Doncic, they can just switch it. And I don't think, I don't think Luka is going to be able to get too much hay attacking AD in isolation. And then on the other end of that, um, are you really too excited about Chris Stops posting up like Contavious Caldwell Pope or Alex Caruso or whoever was guarding Luka? Like I, I just think the Lakers. Yeah, that would be a tough. That would be a tough one for Dallas. Yeah. So the last one, the Spurs. The Spurs are quite a bit worse than those other eight teams. I think, in my opinion, maybe not as a regular season team, just because their depth has been very awesome this year. But with those other eight teams, I could make a case for them winning a playoff series. I don't think I can make a case for San Antonio winning a playoff series. Yeah. Even though it's like with Popovich, I feel like he just has them like playing better than they are too. Like I'm kind of surprised that their their record is what it is right now. But I mean, they... Oh, sorry. Go ahead. They have Aldridge and DeRozan and uh, Keldon Johnson's playing really well. Mm-hmm. Couldn't uh, buy a bucket against the Warriors, though. Yeah, Draymond was really daring Keldon to shoot, and yeah. Keldon, Keldon was obliging, not to great effect, though. Nah. He, but he, he, I can see, he is good, though. He's he had a few good um, finishes where he was, he got fouled in and ones, but yeah, his three ball is not there. Yeah, and as is so often the case with the Spurs, it's really been the bench that has kind of been the strong point. They're getting outscored by quite a bit when it's LaMarcus Aldridge and DeMar DeRozan in the game, but they've got so much good depth. Like when Patty Mills, Rudy Gay, Jakob Pertle, a perennially underrated center, he's been having a very strong season. When it's those three guys in the game together, adding like Devin Vassell too, like the Spurs, when when the starters are off the floor, that's kind of when the Spurs go on their runs. And that that those really strong bench teams, they always seem to underperform in the playoffs. I mean, I don't think the Spurs are going to make the playoffs, but if they were to, a lot of their advantages don't really hold up. DeMar DeRozan, another one of those guys who just is a perennial disappointment in the playoffs. His game just doesn't seem to translate so well to the playoffs. Um mainly because he relies on drawing fouls so often, which that's a great way to up your efficiency in the regular season. 
but the postseason is just always so much more physical. You don't get as many whistles in your favor as you otherwise would. And so when so much of your game is derived from that, I mean, that's tough. And his foul foul rate is at an all-time high this year. So now more than ever, he sort of relies on drawing contact, which that's just not an effective way to play in the postseason. And so, yeah, I don't, I don't think this – I'm not very excited about the Spurs. Fair enough. Man, I think dude. their kryptonite is everybody, but especially the Clippers. <laughs> For the Spurs? Yeah. Yeah, basically. I'd go with the everybody thing, too. Yeah, I, I don't think they're beating either of the eight teams we mentioned before. Okay. Yeah. You never know. You got Pop on your side. He's a freaking wizard. I think Pop, he he may have lost a step or two in his old age. <laughs> Maybe, yeah. He's just sitting on the bench sometimes, just looking at his team like, what in the fuck? It's bad. It's I mean, bad. They, they, he's a bad they, coach, the, but he's not the like Warriors. the Pop in the NBA anymore. Yeah. I think the Warriors held them to like under 40% in both games. Wow. I mean, yeah, the Warriors' defense, they've been very solid this year. Wait till we get Wiseman back. (laughs) Yes. Then our defense is even better, right, Jonah? Yes. Oh, um, before we go, I had one new idea for the podcast, a little game we could do. This is something they do on one of my favorite NBA podcasts, Hollinger and Duncan, if anybody wants to go listen. But they do um, this thing where every week, they eliminate a team from the playoffs. And so I thought that could be a fun tradition for us to pick up starting this week. Facts. Yeah. Like any team. Yeah. And oh, and because we're because we're a week behind, we'll we'll start off our inaugural um episode of this by picking two teams. So just any team you don't think is gonna make the playoffs. So I'll go first and I'll say the magic and the thunder. And it's very easy to do this right now, but as as we get deeper into the season, I think it's going to be a more difficult task. Hold up. I got to look up the standings. Yeah, so basically for mine, the Thunder, they've been playing well. I think they're like 10 and 14 right now, 10 and 13 or 10 and 14, but they've got the fourth worst point differential in the NBA. Um, you'd imagine they'll be selling off George Hill. They'll be probably selling off... Um, Al Horford as time progresses. Um, they may actually be helped by the fact that Alexei Pokashevsky has departed the team and is now in Florida participating in the G League bubble. That's probably going to be um, something that um, will bode well for the rest of their season. Too bad the Warriors couldn't have figured out a way to get James Wiseman, James Wiseman <laughs> down there. Um, <laughs> My God. <laughs> relentless jonah you're going okc before minnesota yeah just because i feel like okc they're embracing the tank they they want to get a high draft pick i feel like minnesota they at least want to be competitive and carl anthony towns has missed a lot of time he's back now i feel like at least minnesota they're going to be pushing they're going to be trying to win i don't think i can say the same about the thunder i mean okc took the lakers at overtime last night yeah yeah I, I mean, you I, can't really go wrong with that choice. I don't think I don't think either of these two. Yeah, teams yeah, be. that's true. Uh, yeah, I'd go Minnesota and Detroit. Yeah. 
Yeah, Detroit, they're going to be hurt even more um, once March comes and Killian Hayes is going to be back in the rotation coming off that hip injury. He was pretty brutal um, earlier in the season. So they'll be soaking up all the minutes they get with the lawn right while they still can. And the Pist- the Pistons, they're another one of those teams where it really just seems like they've kind of stopped trying this year and the gravity of the season is going to pull downwards. Like they traded away Derrick Rose. It seems like they're kind of in that mode of focusing yeah. on the development of their younger players instead of like pushing they, for wins. Are they going to ship out Blake? Ooh, I, I don't think they can. I mean, who's going to take Blake from them? Yeah, that's a good point. They want to, but they won't be able to. Yeah, I don't think. I think another one of those guys is Andre Drummond, where, I mean, theoretically, I think there are some teams that he can help, but I think the contract's just too big for them to get anything done. Yeah. Kellen, what two teams do you want to start out with? Um, Grant's got the Pistons and the Timberwolves. I've got the Thunder and the Magic. Okay, wait, so what is this again? You have to pick two teams to eliminate from the playoffs. Oh, then on Monday, when, on Monday, when we get to talk to Channon again, we'll include him in this game. All right. Yeah. I think he would, the T-Wolves for sure. Maybe it's another shit team, bro. What were you guys' again? Mine was the Magic and Thunder and Grant had the Pistons and Timberwolves. Mm. Maybe are the Bulls good? Not really, but yeah, I, I I'll go Bulls and wow. T Wolves, bro. The Bulls—that's a little bit aggressive. I I think they're. Pretty, <laughs> I don't know, man. I think they're pretty clearly four teams that are a cut below the rest. But I mean, I don't think the Bulls will make the playoffs, so I don't think that'll come back to haunt you. But yeah, I don't know, guy. All right. All right, this was a All right. this was a fun episode. Okay, yeah. Sounds good. All right. Bye guys. See ya.